Hello and welcome to another Corin stream. I, of course, am Joe Magician, and, you know, sorry for the delay. You know, tech problems happen, shit happens, what are you going to do? Uh, hope you're all enjoying this incredibly hot and sticky Saturday and weekend. I am very glad to be inside with all the AC in the world on me. Um, one thing we'll be talking about today is something our beloved and lord, Gurm, has been talking about recently. On June 23rd, Martin released a new entry on his blog titled Writing, Reading, Writing, in which he gave an update on where he is on his own uh, social isolation, quarantine, whatever he's doing. He talked about House of the Dragons, what books he's reading, his involvement with conventions, his other projects. But for us, the most intriguing update was which POVs he has been working on in the long-awaited Winds of Winter. <laughs> POVs he mentions, no longer using pseudonyms, I guess, uh, are Cersei, Asha, Tyrion, Sir Barristan the Bold, and Arya Hota. Decided today was a good use of these streams that would be to take some of those characters mentioned and sort of give them a deep dive on where they are now and what he is actively doing with these characters in the future of the Winds of Winter. Today, I am joined by the one and only Tony Teflon of Teflon TV YouTube channel. We'll be looking at Barristan the Bold and where exactly Sir Grandfather will be going following his charge on the Yunkish, forwards, Yunkish forces outside of Marine. Tony, introduce yourself to the, to the stream. What's the deal, my people? You know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, I am the Don Tony Teflon Joe. Thank you very much for having me on this stream. I truly, truly do appreciate it. I run a channel called Teflon TV. What up to everybody in the chat right now? I can't see you. I'm going to pull it up in a second so I can see everybody out there rocking with us right now. But again, thank you for having me. Barristan is a character. I think that I don't think anyone has anything bad truly to say about this guy. I really, and they do it. They're very silent about it. There's a lot of opinion about a lot of other people. But I think Barristan may be one of those characters that everyone kind of gets behind. Except for Dario Naharis, who, of course, calls him every time Sir Grandfather and Barristan the Old. Damn you, Dario. Uh, you know, yeah, I think that's true. Barristan is, uh, serves up as a POV kind of late. He's our other look into Marine. And, yeah, there's there's some things about him that are not awesome. And in particular, we'll talk about some of those, like his enabling of an Ares what he thought of a shower dang, which is a little great, not great, but you know, that's how it goes. Well, super chat already. Uh, Steven Stark, you may know, here be dragons, says, uh, for all the streams I missed recently because of Dungeons and Dragons. Glad to see that Dawn is a guest. This should be fire. The battle of fire, am I right? Oh, Steven. Oh, Steven, Steven, Steven. You with the, you with the puns. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, thank you again for the $10. So to go off that, Barrison is often seen as a complimentary POV for our, our other famous Kingsguard member, Kingsguard members, wow, Jamie Lannister, and to kind of a lesser extent, Ares Oakheart. These three characters struggle with their vows, honor, duty, and who exactly they are supposed to be serving. Like, was it right for Jamie to kill the Mad King as a Kingsguard? What about him as a person? Barrison struggles with these ideas as well, knowing how he enabled the atrocities of Ares with his own skill and protection. Barristan is the quote-unquote, you know, perfect knight. But, you know, what does that really mean for him and for the Westeros at large? And does Daenerys and Westeros need a perfect knight at her side who always does their duty and completes their orders? Or do they need somebody maybe a little bit more like, I don't know, Davos Seaworth? With that, let's take a look on how Barristan reflects on his life's amazing accomplishments with 
this quote here talking about the defiance at Duskendale. Tony, go. Duskendale had been his finest hour, yet the memory tasted bitter on his tongue. It was his failures that haunted him at night through Jaharis, Ares, Robert, three dead kings, Rhaegar, who had, who had been a finer king than him, than any of them. Princess Elia and the children, Aegon, just a babe, Rhaenys with her kitten, dead, everyone. Yet he still lived, who had sworn to protect them. That is, that is some real regret there from Barristan. Oof. Definitely, it definitely is. He's definitely, you know, and that and that's the whole thing. A lot, a lot of his uh, character is driven by this regret, you know, and though people see him as this perfect knight, he truly doesn't see himself as this perfect knight because he has, he feels he let down three kings. So it's really a yin and yang dealing with Barristan, him, how people perceive him and how he perceives himself. And most interesting, well, maybe in addition to that, it's that it's not only the kings. There he mentions his Rhaegar, who never was a king. He marries, he mentions Aegon and Rhaenys, the children. And it's kind of like he's expanding his idea as he gets older about, well, is he a king's guard or is he a royal family guard? Is his duty to House Targaryen or is his duty to the guy that's actually sitting on the throne? And that ends up being something he thinks about quite a lot when, you know, he deals with somebody else that has taken, usurped essentially a, uh, a throne from the one that he likes in uh, his czar Zolorak versus Daenerys. Yeah, he's definitely House Targaryen all the way. I think if you really look at his loyalties, that's really where they were. You know, he was he wanted to go out and find Viserys when it was all said and done. Mm -hmm. He wanted to put him on the Iron Throne, but he thought that possibly he could have some of his uh, father's madness. So uh, that's the only reason why he didn't go out there and do that. But that was his what he really wanted to do. So I would really say that he is a knight of house targaryen more than he is a king's guardsman accepted that pardon though hmm interesting barry uh another super chat here from uh san rixian our good friend what did yes, the what did the fisherman say the magician pick a cod any cod don't quite get that one um what do you what do you what, what's the joke here sanry do you get it tony yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i don't <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, my God. Well, whatever the joke was, I'm sure it was hilarious, and Mallory will explain it in the chat, and we'll have a chuckle. But thank you again for the super chat. Um, I thought where we would start off with Barry, we'll get to the, to the winds of winter, will he live or die, which is, you know, the big thing, uh, especially with George talking about him, the winds of winter. But I thought it was a good place to start with. Where does Barry come from? Like, how does he, how did he get to the point that he is this key player in Marine in Slaver's Bay? serving Daenerys Targaryen, and then sort of not. And Barristan is one of those characters that has just a really strange history because Barristan the Bold is one of George's oldest characters, not in terms of like his age, but in how long ago he made him up. George, uh, when he was little, he used to play little games with his turtles. He had pet turtles. He made them knights. He had court intrigues. He had them fight. He has action figures. And it's from these stories that he wrote the story, The Dark Gods of Kor Yuban, a fantasy story about the, get ready for this because the names are going to jump off the page, the melancholy exiled prince, R'hllor, and his swaggering companion, Argilac the Arrogant. 
and their journeys in the fantasy world. He made a second installment, though, after the first one uh, did not get published. This one was about King Barristan the Bold, who was killed by winged demons in the Dothrak Empire. His grandson, Baron of the Bloody Blade, and Prince Relore set out for their vengeance. This this is going back to the 70s. Barrison has been in George's mind for forever. He he loves the name. He loves the idea of amazing that he also thinks of Barristan as a king initially, and he's turned him into a king's guard in this iteration. But I love that kind of thing from George, where he takes these really, really old stories and old names and just picks them up and drops them throughout his stories as he goes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that I wish I read those. I did not read that. You can't at all. read them. He has it's, them sitting in a drawer. <laughs> yeah, no one's read that. Why did? Why don't he give that up? He should give that up. I mean, if he has it there, he has the outline. He should at least give it up. You know, we should, we should be able to get it. But he's a great character, and it's a great name. And I understand that. I you know I write sometimes myself, and a lot of the times before I write something. I have the idea of it years beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, I still try to work that person into a different story, a different book, because I like that character or I like that name. So it seems like that's how he was doing it. He was building his whole world. He really liked Barrison. He loved the, the name. So he had, as you said, he was a king and he made him a knight. He had to get that in somehow. And so, you know, and that's the way I usually do that with my daughter's names. I, uh, I work that in there somehow. Yes, exactly. The, I'm betting Barrison was one of his turtles when he was a little kid and he just sort of kept picking up the name because it was his favorite. That's, that's where a lot of these character names comes from i also love the idea that prince relore like this is a character that is all over song of ice and fire but is not real it's like you obviously everyone questions whether or not relore is real but in this old story he's a he's a character not only that a hero and a prince it's like oh germ you crazy old guy you and your magpie ways dropping in these characters everywhere i love reading that going back and reading dream songs in his old stories they all they all connect in weird subtle ways like you were talking about no doubt about it. I, I agree with you 100% on that. Sir Barristan the Bowl, are we going to start with this with his people? That's what we got. So it's this fictional character, this version of Barrison the Bold, was born to House Selmy, which was a knightly house at first. Then he retconned it in Dance with Dragons to a noble house from the Stormlands. Um, this is one of those marcher lords. These are the the Stormlander houses that are on the southern border with Dorne that for the past thousand years or maybe probably five thousand years have been at war with dornish armies coming up through the prince's pass in the bone way and that's where barry was born to but house selmy is not really like anything to write home about they're just another one of many houses um that own some castle somewhere um and that's where barry starts he's an unknown person he's not like uh brandon stark or robert baratheon who has lord paramount futures for them he, the best he can hope for is maybe like attorney night and that's what he did so at 10 years old barrison looking to make a name for himself enters the attorney at Blackhaven in the stormlands as a mystery knight everyone laughed at him literally everyone laughed at him he's a skinny 10 year old kid he borrows some armor 15 sizes too tall for him and enters in the lists and no one will challenge him until duncan the prince of bread prince of dragonflies and husband the jenny of old stones took up the mystery knight's challenge and actually rode against him once of course duncan put him on his ass but he helped him up on his feet and we have the quote here for what he said afterwards where the nickname the bold comes from he said a boy he had proclaimed to the cloud 
a bold boy. And, you know, that nickname stuck. The idea that a 10-year-old kid wearing armor that he borrowed, barely able to hold up his, his lance, would ride against the Prince of the Seven Kingdoms and actually, you know, not totally embarrass himself. It was it was obviously very bold for him to do that. And it just seems like that's the way, you know, he was raised. They said George changed it over from a little bit. But it seems like where he was from, this is what you had to be. Like you had to be a tough guy. You had to be, you know, someone who was able to fight just to live where you went. You know, his his father before his was called the Knight of, of Harvest Hall, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's the way the way he was brought up in order to be the Lord of that house. You had to be a Knight of Harvest Hall of a harvest hall. So it just seems like you had to be tough. You had to be, you know, able to um, hold your own in these battles and stuff. And to think of, of, of a 10 year old kid going up and just saying, deciding, Hey, I'm going to joust and I'm going to be in this tournament. <laughs> it's hard to believe that anyone would do that. You know, you, you that, that would, that would be like a 10 year old kid going to a, a, you know, NBA game and all of a sudden saying, you know what, I'm jumping on this court because I'm good enough to jump on this court, you know, and knowing Michael Jordan being like, all right, little, let's see what you got, little man, you know, and what impressing I mean? him. that, yeah, it's pressing me enough that he's called him bold enough and he had some skills. So it just shows you that how, how good he was and he was a natural, you know, it, it seemed like because even though you get training and I'm sure he had great trainers and mm-hmm. everything else, but not to the level of where he he has far exceeded anyone who trained him, you know what I mean? He was much better than all those people, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, Manfred Swan or whoever it was mm-hmm. that did it. He was much better than these guys. And when you have that type of natural ability, I think that that's that um, you're able to do certain things like that, you're like a, a child phenom, you know, kind of like, you know, it's kind of like tennis. You know, when, when you see like women's tennis, tennis mostly, you see these, young girls who are 13 years old yeah. at 14 and able to beat fully grown women in tennis you know mm-hmm. because they're so talented so i think when it comes to jousting it's uh it's kind of like that and in particular the one that you can train barristan you can train anybody to be okay at like jousting and sword fighting you can't train the courage to ride against the prince of the seven kingdoms we see that in tons of other stories uh, most notably um the Duncan Egg novellas, that nobody would ride against the Prince of Dragonstone. Nobody was willing to injure him, thinking that it would, you know, damage their futures. Barry did not think that way. Barristan saw a shot and he took it to ride against the Prince of Dragonstone. And then he was rewarded. At 16, he was uh, knighted personally by Aegon V, the Unlikely, because that training and that uh, courage kept going. He unhorsed Duncan the Tall, at that time uh, Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and Duncan Prince of Dragonflies at only 16 at attorney at, in uh, in King's Landing. That's that's pretty impressive. Starting at 10, going to 16, already knighted, making a name for himself in the biggest family in the Seven Kingdoms. It, it shows even a little bit of ambition with him. A lot of guys don't do this. A lot of knights, even a lot of lords, are happy to go to tourneys and party and try and find girls and, you know, just have a good time. Barristan clearly thinks that there is something greater for himself out there. Yeah, and as, as I just said, you know, when when dealing with jousting and stuff, it has to be like that, you know, because normally, and that's why I think George did a good job of making this his first major accomplishment that we've seen, a jousting tournament. Because if it was a melee, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they would say, oh, Barristan defeated Sir Duncan at all in this melee. You know, you couldn't believe that. You know, there'd be no, because 
even if you're that good, when you get someone that size of Duncan Tall, yeah. it doesn't even matter how good your skills are. The man's just too big. He's got that grown man strength over some six-year-olds. <laughs> he's going to him to the floor. He's going to beat him that way. So I think it was great the way George did it and made it a jousting thing for him because jousting, they say, is mostly how you handle your horse, you know, and that's what it's mainly about. So a 16-year-old could handle a horse better than a grown man if they're that good. So I'm glad the way George put that out there like that. And Barrison, you know, I love Barrison Selmy. I'm not the, <laughs> the biggest Barrison fan, but I do love the character of Barrison Selmy. Yeah, he's a he's a heroic figure. Bran talks about him in the Game of Thrones as one of his idols. Everyone in the kingdoms knows Barristan Selmy. And the num number one reason they know about him is the next thing, and that is, of course, the War of the Nine Penny Kings and slaying Maelys the Monstrous. So Maelys was the last male of the male line of House Blackfire, and the guy was monstrous. He was gigantic. He was like... Uh, like Sandor Clegane size. He also had a weird second head on his shoulder, not like a full one, just like kind of like a face there. Weird. I, I don't don't really know why that was included. Maybe it's to seem more scary. But it's Barristan after these terrible wars on the step zones where people are dying left and right of disease, and they're nobody's really gaining a foothold. Barristan cuts through the Golden Company, finds his way to Melee's, kills him in single combat, and ends the invasion of Westeros and the Blackfires in one stroke. So you're going from play fighting to real fighting, and not only that, killing a would-be king. So George is really up in the legend of Barry here. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and that's the whole thing you said. You know, there's a lot of practice, and there's a lot of times where you can practice things and you can practice techniques. You know, you may know somebody out there who who practices Taekwondo and they do a lot of different type of katas and they do a lot of type of things, but they get in them streets and they try that shit and they get their ass kicked, right? Yeah. You've seen them go down people, but this guy, really his skill really told on the basket. You really never know how good you are mm -hmm. until put in that situation. And again, following his boldness, he cut him off. He didn't, he seen the target, he knew who the target was, and he said, I'm going to make my way and I'm going to make it to this guy. And after I beat all these guys and I'm tired, I'm still going to have enough energy to beat this monster. Yeah. You've seen Jake Lannister try to do that with Rob Stark and he couldn't get to him. Nope. Right? So this shows you how hard of a thing it is to actually do it. As I said, the guy cut down all of his people. While this guy, I don't know what Maylis the Monsters was doing. I'm sure he wasn't sipping tea or. <laughs> or That'd be funny it. if he was. You know, I'm sure he was fighting too, but still, he had to have more strength than Barrison. <laughs> Barrison still was able to take him down. Really impressive. And for rewarded for that he is then named to the king's guard by king jaharis ii at 23 extremely young for a king's guard uh not lord commander of course that doesn't happen until i believe robert's reign but a lot of the times we see with the lord command with the king's guard members it's not always skill uh, a lot of times it's political appointments. A lot of the times it's to appease a certain lord, a certain family, to make sure that people are happy with you. Barristan doesn't really have any of that behind him. Like, the House Selmy is not powerful. I don't think the Baratheons are going to be like, oh, cool, you put the Selmys on the King's Guard. Great for us. Great for the Stormlands. But it's, it is kind of a political pick in the, in the sense that um, Jaehaerys, and by extension Bloodraven, is taking the hero that slayed the Blackfires and elevating them to the Kingsguard, saying, you help us kill the Blackfires, 
You helped, he helped us kill Melees. This could happen to you guys. You be the next hero of the Targaryen family. You be the next Barristan, and you will be rewarded. And there's also kind of a subtle thing to this that we learn about him in his POV um, and his escapades in A Song of Ice and Fire, that he's sort of seen as a simple thinker, that he is kind of one-minded. Um, he thinks about things in terms of always being a soldier. You know, he's a good Kingsguard. He does see attacks coming, but he's not seen as somebody like Kristen Cole or somebody that will end up like dominating the political landscape. He's just an amazing fighter, and that's kind of what they took him for. Yeah, and he was good at that. And that's, uh, well, that's one thing that people have to You have to know what you're good at and stay in line, right? Mm -hmm. And that he did at that particular time. He knew what he was good at. He wasn't into the political thing. We see later when he gets with Daenerys and he becomes older. Then he, he, starts, he starts thinking more politics. But as he's younger, he's just he's just the hammer. He's just there just to, to get get the job done. And it was great. As you said, most of these are, uh, are political when you get these appointments. You know what I mean? It, and his wasn't. His was ba was based on merit. And he had to give up that you know the lady he was supposed to marry in order to to join the king's guard and i think it was i don't know if it was i think it was his cousin wound up marrying this lady so i think that also ties into when, when we get to harrenhal and stuff mm -hmm. uh with that because there's two things here that we we, we could that, that we touched on that deal with harrenhal we have a mystery knight and then we have a love of his life uh, someone that he was supposed to mm -hmm. marry and those two things do come back around when you're dealing with barrison by the time we reach harrenhal Harrenhal is another one of those moments where this is one of those things that when I was uh, rereading the chapters that I noticed, Barristan is an impressive person. His battle skills are incredible. His deeds are incredible. But he also kind of takes this idea in his head that like the history of Westeros hung on him a bunch of times. Like um, he thinks about like, well, if I had, well, we'll, we'll get to it. But Harrenhal is one of those moments where he's like, I could have changed the course of history. It's like, no, not not really, Barristan. Like, things were going that way anyway. I understand why you think that way, but like, not really. Um, and one of those big moments is the defiance at Duskendale, the uh, quote you read at the beginning. This is one of those very strange things that happened. Uh, nothing else has happened like it in Targaryen history. It started as a tax dispute. House Darklin used to be one of the major economic powers in Westeros, but had been kind of usurped by King's Landing, and it's major trade ports and the King's Road nearby leading into the city. So Darklands went from being powerful and wealthy to sort of falling on the wayside. And Lord Darkland wanted to petition the king in order to essentially gain a charter. I'm not sure what the charter was for. I think it was maybe like a trade charter or something like that. Tywin tells him to go pound sand. Get out of here. Absolutely not. You don't get that. Ares, though, wanting to at this point he had become upset with Tywin but couldn't get rid of him so he's like I know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna go to Duskendale I'm gonna treat with Lord Darklin and we're gonna work this shit out because I'm a great king not only not, Tywin's not the only one here that knows how to rule doesn't go how he wants uh, Ares gets uh, Ares gets kidnapped his guard is killed including uh, King's guard Sir Gawain Galt uh, Gaunt, I'm sorry, and held hostage for quite a long time. Now, this is actually something I wanted to ask you about. There are quite a lot of theories out there that Duskendale was planned, that Tywin set this up, that it was supposed to kill Ares. What do you think about that? I don't know if Tywin, it, it would make sense, right? Mm -hmm. But I think if Tywin truly wanted to get rid of him, he he could he would have got rid of him other ways. He could have mm -hmm. gotten done. I don't know if it was set up, but I, I do believe that 
he waited all that long. He waited a long time. <laughs> For a reason. Like, he wasn't rushing right in there. To he was get maybe hoping. He was sitting yeah, I think he may have hoped. He said, hey, this thing just happened. Maybe they'll take him out for me. But I don't think he actually set it up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that the king, he just, the king was at the point where, you know, Tywin is a monster. And sometimes it takes a monster to deal with other monsters. And that's basically the way these lords are. Mm-hmm. This guy, just to spite Tywin, just to say, listen, I know more than you, put himself in that position. And that was his own pride that got him there. He should have just took Tywin's advice, even though, you know, you don't like him like you used to like him and everything. <laughs> but he knew what, what these guys were. But Tywin didn't try to stop him. He let him march himself right up in there. It's like, go right ahead. Do what yeah, you got to do. You got this, Aries. Yeah, you go. Go go with your badass. Go <laughs> on with your badass. Do what you do, what you do baby. And, you know, and mo- I, I, I think, as everyone else knows, I think, you know, this is most likely whatever may torture this man. And obviously, yeah. they, they did crazy things to him over the years because the, the revenge that he incites on them disproves it. You know, whether, you know, it, it's, it's like it's like Pulp Fiction, you know. I know we've all seen Pulp Fiction with Ben mm-hmm. Rain's character, Marcellus. He gets captured and gets put in the cage and all that with the ball in his mouth. You see, when he finally got freed, we're going to get medieval on these people. So when you, <laughs> when, you, when you take abuse like that, you have to give more abuse than had happened to you in order to try to reclaim your manhood to yourself you know and that's what Ben Rains was trying to do he was trying to make himself feel like more of a man for everything that happened to him because he they took his manhood from him and his own person in his own mind and this is what I feel happened to Aries Aries like oh y'all guys did all this to me now you're gonna see now you're gonna pay for it all and that's that's how you know that I think that's really what broke him in the end I don't think it's any um history of Targaryens going mad. I think it was that that broke him, that drove him to where he was, what he became. Yeah, and the uh, the whole, the turn they're talking about, oh, by the way, most of the chat agrees with us. They say that Tywin took advantage of an opportunity and tried to let Ares essentially kill himself on the Darklands. There's especially the, the quote where he says, we have a better king standing right here and points at Rhaegar. It's like, okay, well, you just made your point known, uh, Tywin. And mm-hmm. you definitely know he was trying to get, um, Ares killed because he declared he goes to Paris and Selmy and says you have one night to get Ares back after which I am storming the city in the keep and Ares's life is forfeit we can't let this happen we can't let our king stay hostage to the goddamn Darklands so Barristan says oh well I have one night to do it I guess I will and he goes, he turns into an action hero, he turns into Barristan McLean. He, he be, it's like his own, um, his own version of every terrible action movie you've ever seen. He scales two walls, he kills the master at arms, Sir Simon Hollard, as revenge. He finds the one guy he wants revenge on, because he oh, killed, yeah. uh, Gwen Gaunt. <laughs> finds him, kills him, frees Ares from the dungeon, steals two horses, escapes unharmed with the king. And that's one of those things where, in retrospect, uh, Barrison's like, maybe I shouldn't have tried that hard. Maybe I should have let Tywin storm the castle because knowing what Bar- what Ares was be- was going to become, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Do you mm-hmm. actually think at that point Ares is going to start burning everybody and killing lords left and right? At the- up to that point in his life, he was a little strange. He had some crazy ideas about like building a second wall far to, far to the north and another king's landing. And he wanted to, I think, build an underground waterway to Dorne to make it grow crops again. I mean, that's weird. That's not like horrific. 
Yeah, and I, and I don't think, you know, underground waterway is not a bad idea, you know. That's impossible, forward, but you know? good idea. No, but it's, it's, well, he's probably thinking about what Tywin did. He said, hey, if Tywin could run the river into these people and drown them, maybe we could take that river and put it underneath the ground. <laughs> he's probably thinking along those lines, but it's still, it's forward thinking. It's nothing crazy. He's trying to, you know, you should have, you build an aqueduct above land, it would have worked, but, you know, he was forward thinking. It was nothing crazy. It was he, he had no signs of be, being crazy. He had no signs of I'm going to burn everyone who ever nope. comes. I'm going to come in contact with. And you know, because if that was the case, he would have been burning people back then. Because you, you, it see, it said it was said that when he was burning people, that he was getting off sexually from. Them. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, so you know, you would think that if he had that fetish back then. People would already knew about it. So if yeah. it took him to get off back then from burning people, you would have already known about it. So back then he was just most likely he was uh, doing good things uh, with women and didn't need that to get off, you know. But after whatever they did to him in there, which, you know, we could, we could all speculate on what happened to him, whether he was molested or just beat with sticks or burnt here and there, burnt about his body. Who knows? Whatever he did, something happened to him. To make him just want to burn everybody alive or if you want to say that you know blood ravens was giving him visions while he was in there too i know people who like to say that i've got one of those theories do you <laughs> yeah I, I wrote about how the connections between brand going into the darkness under winterfell and the um with blood raven underneath the tree and the idea of opening the third eye and the idea that the targaryens have been essentially that that Ares probably may have had dragon dreams, but he had nobody like Blood Raven to tell him what they meant. So he just went like, after his experience down in the dungeons, maybe he saw them more and maybe it destroyed his life, much like Daron the Drunkard, which is totally a Targaryen thing that has happened over and over and over again. It would certainly fit. No, it does fit, and I, I think it's totally possible that that could be that could be the case when dealing with with him and his craziness that he got. I think that you know. I think he's seen the White Walkers later on in life. I think that that was, he was shown that, and I'm taking over and these these whites and stuff. So I think that's why he was on the the whole Burnham Mall stuff. I think it's mm. just the whites. He was so sent the visions of the whites in the future and stuff, and he's seen them being hit by fire and, and destroyed. So I think it was a, that that's the reason why he got that stuck into his head, just like Hodor got Hodor stuck into his head. And one thing um, that I really loved as a point of comparison between. Um, Jamie and Barristan is that in this moment he holds Aerys's life in his hands and Jamie goes the other way and says we're better off without Aerys kills him uh, saves the realm of course like we were talking about Aerys was not at that point when Barristan had him but he doesn't stop him from comparing his actions to Jamie's and thinking about Maybe it wouldn't have been necessary for Jamie to kill him at King's Landing. Maybe it wouldn't have been necessary for the rebellion had I just failed, had I not been as amazing as I am. And that's kind of an amazing um, uh, flaw for a character, that he's too good. His, his abilities, his martial abilities, and his determination and his courage kind of ended up dooming the realm which is not something you see too often usually it goes the other way it's it's presented as like we were talking about with his early exploits is like well this is a good thing obviously this is great it's like well no because of what happened with Ares, and that's something barristan reflects on pretty negatively actually yeah i hate jamie lancer so let me not be the one to defend him 
but I will say because Bridgeford is my man. So shout out to my man Kev from Bridgeford who loves loves Jamie. So I'm gonna give him a little props here. I'm gonna say it's totally two different situations. You know, I, yeah. I really can't see that. You know, but the way what Barrison was in and what the what Jamie faced is two different situations. Number one, as you said, Aries was mad at the time. He was trying to destroy everything, yeah. and he asked him to kill his father. Now, with Barrison, if Barrison was in that position and, and Barrison have done it? Hmm. was on that thing, would he still have felt the same way? Would he have went out and killed his father for him? It seems like he's very loyal. It seems that Barrison may have done that. I mean, that's what they project you to think. Mm-hmm. But in reality, would he have truly have done that? Would he killed his father? And I think, you know, for that reason, I have to give Jamie the past on killing him. Yeah, you got it. Uh, in the chat, people are asking, at wh- how many likes on this stream will I, wear, will I wear a silly hat? It's 150. 150, the wizard hat goes on. 175, I do have the new Gurm hat ready to go. It is spectacular. So slam that like button. You get it up to 150. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm, just, I'm just pulling the chat up and I had to uh, mute that. I should, have, I should, have, I should have just pulled it. No worries. See who's rocking with us here and stuff. I didn't have a chance to see. All right, what is yeah. that? A thousand, a thousand huff. What is a thousand huff? That is a good question. I don't know how much it is, but thank you very much, uh, Spinocker, for a thousand huff, uh, huf. I just want to say uh, that both of you look fabulous today. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. I Tony's got you. his nice hat on. Got a got a real nice polo going. Wait, Tony, where's your mug? We have we have dueling oh. mugs today. Bug mug. Yeah, there oh, we go. Both of us oh, got him today. Always in here. <laughs> uh, they said and thank you for the berry discussion. Rich, if you go to San Ritchie and shop and you use the code Thugmug, you save, I think, 15%. So Whoa. Go to, go to San Ritchie and shop, San Ritchie and shop <laughs> and buy a t-shirt and use the code Thugmug right there. Save some money. There you go. Great shout out for San Ritchie, who's uh, active in the chat. And apparently her dad joke was just a dad joke. I just didn't get it because we're not. I'm not smart enough. That's how it goes. What is a huff? I don't know. Uh, somebody's saying it's Hungarian. I don't. Well, it's going pretty fast. I'm guessing it's only. I'm guessing that it's only a few dollars because when the bigger ones, I can see how long they're going to last on the chat, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we go to another point where Barrison goes like, "Oh, I could have saved everything if I did it correctly," and that is. Uh, as you said, Tarnit Harrenhal and Ashara Dane. Um, Barrison reveals in his POV that he was infatuated with Ashara Dane, like straight up in love with her. Uh, he, which is a little weird because, you know, Ashara was conservatively 30 to 40 years younger than Barrison at the time. Uh, she was like 16, 17 years old. He's 40 or 50. And he's just like walking around Harrenhal giving her the eye. Not okay, Barrison. Not great. But the thing that how George uses this, I mean, that also informs part of Barristan, but he also uses it to draw a comparison between Ashar and Danny. He thinks about her purple eyes and her laugh and sees qualities between Danny and Ashara, which some have taken for crazy theories about parentage, but it's mostly supposed to give you an idea of when Barristan was giving Danny essentially a tryout for why he should serve her, this is probably why. He thinks of Ashara and her tragic end. Some people think she's still alive. Barristan clearly thinks she's dead. So it's kind of like protecting the long lost girl that he was in love with that he couldn't save anymore. But by the way, George, can we stop having weird older men falling in love with Danny? That'd be pretty cool. It would be. You know, I don't know if George is really putting himself in these situations. You know, I know he has a lot of fans. 
Titans. <laughs> and I know, you know, so I don't know if that's the case. But I would say, let me ask you this question, Joe. If she was in love with him also, the Barristan that we, do you think that he would have left his duties as King Garvin to marry this chick and ran off with this chick, or you think he would have not done it? He would have not done that. He couldn't bring himself to betray the Targaryens in any way. And the only uh, king he ever did betray was a Baratheon. It was even, and this is part of his POV that um, that is really interesting, where no matter what Ares was doing, he was standing by him. And he, he really viewed it as an act of love and devotion to the Targaryen family for what they did to him, despite Ares being a monster. So I... I don't think even if Ashar was like giving him the googly eyes, I don't think he would have done anything about it. Barrison is just not that kind of guy. Would he have hit it though? At least uh, I think <laughs> I think he would have um, been very awkward and run away, and then thought about it a lot for thirty years. Oh, oh no, no, Ashar! I'm a Kingsguard. Runs away. I I don't know. I'm really thinking that. You know, listen. The guy he was, as I said, he he was supposed to get married. He turned down his 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 first chick he was supposed to marry. From what we know, the man, you know, I, we don't hear about him doing anything with anybody. Nope. I mean, that's that's a that's a long time, right? <laughs> you know, to pleasure yourself. I would just say that that's what's going on there with him, and one must assume that that must be going on, to the point where you're now looking at someone thirty years younger than you. I don't. I think he may have tried to do. I think he would, may have took it. You know what I mean? I think. I think because that there's not I, the way he thinks about it. While he thinks about her, and him wishing that he won the tilt uh, with Rhaegar, so he could have crowned her. Like I. I don't think he just wanted to crown her with the flowers. I oh think boy. Trying to crown her. Oh boy. <laughs> and he was just using that crown to get the other crown or get some crown from her. Whatever you want to say. I'm sure he thought about it many a night. I guess that's, <laughs> we, we, we can say that. Uh, we do know that he has, he did not think highly of Lewin Martell having paramours. And it doesn't, there's no talk of him going to the brothel. So. I don't know. It seems like sort of a fantasy thing for him. Ashara is his magical pixie dream girl, basically. Like, she doesn't exist as she is really. She is just the pretty girl at, at Harrenhal that's dancing and laughing, embarrassing, and thinking of the life that could have been, I guess. Um, also, a super chat here from Aaron M. Uh, she says she can't stay, but wanted to show love to these two smart debonair gentlemen. Thank you, Aaron. Happy Saturday, fam. Yes, happy Saturday indeed. Oh, and another one here from... Uh, uh, here be dragons says tell Aaron happy birthday happy birthday Aaron happy name day uh, happy birthday Aaron may you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live there you go that is an excellent birthday message <laughs> <laughs> um, no, thank you guys uh, both so much for the super chats um, so the thing that like you, we alluded to the thing that Barrison really thinks about at the turning of Hall is that he did not beat Rhaegar and because he thinks if he beat Rhaegar, therefore Rhaegar would not have crowned Lyanna the Queen of Love and Beauty, and therefore the the Robert's Rebellion would not have happened, which is very, very, very simplistic thinking from Barristan. Like, there's hints all along that it wasn't the crowning that made uh, Lyanna go, oh, 
this Rhaegar fellow is kind of handsome. Maybe I should think about him. No, we know that she was crying at his heart beforehand. There's good theories out there that um, she was the mystery knight. Rhaegar went and found her. And they even they even didn't run away right then. It was months, months, months later. So Barrison is wrong here that he thinks that he could have avoided Robert's rebellion just by beating Rhaegar. And there's also theories that maybe Barristan took a dive, that he didn't win on purpose because that was the plan or something like that. But, you know, the wheels were already spinning on Robert's Rebellion. Ares was running down his time as king one way or another. Um, he wasn't going to stop Rhaegar and Lyanna just by beating Rhaegar in the final just, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. I, you know, there's, I did a video on it. If y'all want to take a look at it, you could. But if not, go watch this movie. There's a movie called Dragon Slayer. George has said that he was a really big fan of it. In fact, the dragon in it, I think it was Vermithrax. It was the name of the dragon that's in that movie, and George used that name because he was such a big fan of that movie. If you look at that movie, you see that the I don't want to give away away the movie, but you know I'm gonna a little bit here, but not you know you'll find that anyway. But one of the characters in the movie is pretending to be a man; it really is a woman, and a couple of the names that that Aaron George's books are in that movie. So I think when you deal with with uh, with the mystery night situation. The same thing that we've seen Barrison put himself in as a mystery knight. You know what I mean? It all comes back. It all ties back to uh, things that circle around Sir Barrison. I think if we you look, that's how I think it's easy to see his demise when it's all said and done. Because a lot of things with Sir Barrison keep happening over and over and over. <laughs> Whether it's him winning tilts or him fighting people one-on-one -on -one and slaying them one-on-one. -on -one, or mystery nights or, or and things like that but they all keep coming back full circle for him so i think that's how when it when it's all said and done it's going to play out for him yeah we got uh while you were talking we got three straight super chats for a dollar 49 each from uh, amanda aka disputed land senrixian and steven aka here be dragons this is for aaron m they are sending birthday cake stamps so again, yes, happy Aww. birthday aaron you guys are very sweet um although i'm not sure how giving me money says happy birthday to Aaron, but I am I am happy about it. Sure, why not? <laughs> that's how that goes. Um, so, you know, that that was another, that's one of those character moments that I think is very important for Barristan, his misunderstanding of situations and not really seeing the larger political landscape that he would actually think that's what that's what caused Robert's Rebellion. That's, that's not what happened. And yeah. that's, that should inform you as you read his POVs in A Dance with Dragons that George is telling you that he is missing a lot of key points and doesn't quite understand what's happening around him. I just did a video with Gray Area. Shout out to my girl, Gray Area. And it was, it's on my channel, it's whose fault is Robert's Rebellion? Mm-hmm. And what led, and we talked about actually what things, what were the triggers that led to the rebellion? You know, obviously that's one of the triggers is Rhaegar uh, kidnapping the kids, kidnapping of Lyanna. But I, I do believe that even if he won and he would have won, it wasn't the flowers that did it. Robert Baratheon didn't protest. It was Brandon who got more mad than Robert. Robert didn't, you never hear Robert complaining about it. Yeah. But you hear Brandon complaining about it. So, that really, the flowers of giving that, that really didn't do anything uh, to it uh, to, to, to start the uh, the rebellion. That wasn't a true trigger. That may have put a little, you know, sparks in it, but it didn't, it's what is, it isn't what led to the rebellion. What, what do you think? Who do you, who would you say 
real quick off topic, real quick. Uh-oh. I don't mean to but it was a fault at most fault for this rebellion. And if they would have did something different, they could have changed it. If the thing that would have stopped the rebellion would have been deposing Ares at Harrenhal. Um, and what kicked it off was not Liana, it wasn't Rhaegar, although those those had to happen for the main thing to happen, which is the killing of the Lord Paramount's sons and Rickard Stark. Um, those are what sent the entire realm into rebellion against Ares, but you cannot have that without Brandon misunderstanding it as a kidnapping. So, you know, it's one of those things where they are dependent, but the true cause, what actually got guys to mount their horses was the threat to their own uh, selves. If if Ares can kill Brandon Stark, Rickard Stark, and all these other High Lord boys, then the rest of us can be too. That's essentially what happened. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I blame Rickard Stark 100% myself. For I, I think he could have prevented the whole thing. Because I just don't think, I don't think anyone in their right mind who was who was at Harrenhal heard about Harrenhal, and it seemed like the whole realm held heard about it, right? Yeah. Nights the smile stops or whatever. So how could anyone really believe that he kidnapped this girl? I, I just yeah. don't think that it's feasible that anyone could really sit down and say, "Hey, he came over the crown prince, the crown prince." You know, I, it's hard. It's like JFK Jr., right? That, that's the best comparison I can give you. If y'all remember who JFK Jr. was, he was huge. You know, when he was alive, he was he was everything, especially growing up in New York. And mm-hmm. in New York, I heard about him all the time. Uh, that's like him. He's not going to kidnap you, JFK. <laughs> he doesn't have to do that, especially if you've seen him do a, a show of affection and give these flowers to this chick. And then you know about her crying. And I'm not, maybe we'll not know about her crying when he's singing to her and all that stuff, you know, but... I just don't know how Rickard, being a smart person, could have thought that his his daughter was kidnapped by this by this man. Yeah, it's um, that is definitely <clears throat> a big topic. I think for another two hour stream, what exactly went into it? But yeah, I agree. Um, Barrison is very very wrong here, and that's sort of the idea. Um, got a few more super chats. Uh, super Ch- uh, Sarah Charles also uh, saying happy birthday to Aaron and Amanda, giving two dollars to tell me it's the thought that counts. So okay. I accept it totally. Um, so then we fast forward to Robert's Rebellion. Um, Barristan is not Lord Commander of the King's Guard. He fights beside Rhaegar on the Trident, gets wounded, and Robert Baratheon unexpectedly um, has his personal maester save Barristan's life while all of his advisors are telling him, kill Barristan. I mean, kill Barristan. Don't let him live. Um, he lives. He makes it back after the slaying of the two um, Targaryen children, and he's giving an unusual choice. He and Jamie Lannister are Jamie Lannister are giving pardons to remain as king guards for Robert. It's noted that uh, Barrison considers it's kind of another shame they accepted the pardon when he thinks about the corpses of Aegon and Rhaenys and abandoning Viserys and Daenerys. It's it creates a real problem in his head further on in his life, and especially a dance with dragons, where is he loyal to the throne, to the throne in the crown, or is he loyal to the Targaryens? Is he ro- is he loyal to Rhaegar? Is he loyal to Ares? Is it the man or the position? And in this case, in this choice, Barristan says 
it's the position. I am loyal to whoever sits on the throne. Uh, a choice he later regrets. He he claims that that that's what he says in his head. You know, I'm sticking with Robert because of this. But as he also said in the in the same type breath that he thought Viserys was was maybe crazy of going yeah. crazy. So he didn't want to repeat the same exact thing that he got with the other with the Mad King. So he settled for Robert. So if Viserys he didn't think was going crazy, he would have went for Viserys, and he would have went out there and did that. So it, it's. He's. I would say he's still more loyal to the Targaryens, but when he weighed those two options, that Robert <laughs> was the best choice at the time. Barristan the Bold not taking the bold choice in that case. Not at all. Now taking the safe one. Uh, as people are pointing out, we're at 129 likes, so 21 more, and I'll put on a very silly hat. Um, as people are campaigning for constantly in the chat, yeah, slam that like button. Um, it, yeah, the question of why didn't he follow Danny Viserys East, exactly right. It's one of those things where he compares himself to the White Bull in Arthur Danny. He thinks, well, they stuck by the Tower of Joy, whatever was going on there, and I couldn't even, I couldn't even follow these two kids. Didn't they need me more than Robert? Well, Barrison at that time did not want to do that to himself so uh we get to the current timeline he's lord commander of the king's guard um after the white bull dies robert names him and he is fired from his position by cersei and joffrey after the death of robert baratheon citing his age and inability to protect the king from a boar that's not really what happened again it's the fact that cersei wanted to replace barry with jamie as lord commander and they also wanted to put sandor clicking on the king's guard he's old so they're just like eh, let's just get rid of the guy it, it really had nothing to do with his performance or his age it was just they wanted cersei wanted jamie there yeah he she did i think that was a little more like when you when you deal with that little 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 varus in, inside of that situation that, that had something to do with mm -hmm. that too. I think it was a plan to get him away because we all know that he was still very capable, you know what I mean? He did fight in uh, the, the the Greyjoy Rebellion at that particular time and uh, he led the attack in um, one of the in one of the fights versus the Greyjoys and stuff. So he was still a very capable fighter. And not only was he just a capable fighter, he was also uh, a legend of his own mm -hmm. time. No, he was well respected. He was well renowned. So I think it was a various plan to get him away, put the bug in the ear to get him out of there. And they wanted him out there. And you see that as soon as he's gone and he's set free, he's like, everyone's <laughs> after him. You know, you, Renly's trying to track him down and Renly wants him on his King's Garden. And the only reason why Brienne got her position was because he couldn't find Sir Barristan. <laughs> but that was reserved for Barristan. And he thought that, she, that that he was going with the Starks. And then Catelyn Stark was like, no, he ain't coming with us. And he was like, well, maybe he's going with my brother Stannis. So he was like the most, you know, sought after free agent. Yeah, <laughs> free agent. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. He was. Uh, he had his own uh, version of LeBron's announcement where he's like, <laughs> I'm taking my, taking my talents to Slaver's Bay, I guess. That's what he's doing. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, a lot of people are confused. He does not end up with Renly and Stannis. They expect him maybe to go with Rob Stark. Doesn't happen. Um, w one of the details is that he actually saw 
Eddard Stark die, that he snuck back into King's Landing as a as a pauper and watched what Joffe was going to do. Not really sure why he did that, but it certainly caused a uh, reflection on his part. It, it created that crisis of faith that probably made it so he did not go to Stannis, he did not go to Renly, because he was tired of serving for rulers he did not respect. So as you said, Varys uh, sweeps him up. Well, actually, it's Illyrio. It's Illyrio yeah. that gets him. He doesn't know it's Varys. That's why I think it was Varys's plan from yeah. the beginning to get him off because Illyrio just happens to be the one who sweeps him up. We know those two guys are working together. So that's why I believe it was Varys's plan to get him out of there knowing in the end because Varys had to know how the man truly felt in his yeah. heart and who he uh, was loyal to. So he knew that he would wound up over there and that's exactly what he did was wind up over there. So that's all, it was all planned out between those two, I believe. Exactly. And he uh, journeys to meet uh, Daenerys and Karth, I believe, as Arston Whitebeard, squire to um, Strong Belwas. Uh, and essentially what he's doing is he's giving Danny a tryout and he's deciding, is she worth the effort? Like, I could go and die somewhere. I could be a sellsword. Like, maybe I go back and join Stannis or Renly. But he's like, I will give Danny a fair shake. I mean, Ares sucked. I didn't like Viserys, but, you know, maybe she's different. And eventually uh, he decides that she is worth his time. And she, <laughs> it's actually funny how he does it, because when he outs himself, he also outs Jorah as a spy for Varys, which, again, is very funny because he's also working for Varys, but he doesn't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, he as you said, he was he's, he's definitely there just to, to see the feel her out, to see how she's going. If, if she's if he's if she if she's worth him serving, and that's what he's trying to figure out. And eventually, obviously, he does figure out that this is what it. But I also like the fact that listen, Illyrio had two badass fighters this particular time. When you have Sir Boas, right, and and Sir Barris and Salmi, mm-hmm. I mean that's a that's a dynamic duo. I don't know anyone who, who, if you picked out the two other people fighting those guys, who would survive fighting those two guys right there. Strain Bohas, I think, and George was a wrestling fan back in the day. He said, <laughs> if you look at a guy named Abdullah the Butcher, who was a wrestler from back in the 70s and 80s, he is definitely, that is that definitely who Sir Bohas is, without a shadow of a doubt. Just, just take a look at him and watch his wrestling matches. And you will see <laughs> that, that that is exactly who George made this man after. There's no doubt about it. And it fits perfectly. But those two, that's a dynamic duo that got sent to Danny's camp. Not, not many people have a strong, uh, two strong fighters that, that strong come to them. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're going to kind of skip ahead a little bit because we re- I really want to get to the uh, the Winds of Winter stuff. So just a quick summary of what happened getting to the Battle of Fire and the Winds of Winter. Um, at Daznak's pit, uh, Barrison at this point, who is a member of Danny's Kingsguard, sees as oh, I sorry, I also missed a, a super chat from Danny McKay, uh, Joe Mags, and the Don. I can dig it. Thank you very much for the five dollars, Danny McKay, and another one from uh, San Rixian, two dollars, saying it's almost hat time, Mister Magician. Yeah, we're at 141, 150. We do that. Um, so Danny flies away on Drogon, kills a bunch of the Miranese and Yunk- and Yunkish. Um, Nobody knows what happened to Danny, and it's essentially chaos in Marine afterwards. His Zalorak, her husband at this point, crowns himself king and and rules in Danny's place with a very shaky alliance that's based around the pit fighter industry, the whole slave industry, and the harpy, whoever that is, 
wink wink, balanced against Yunkai that are actually wanting to depose him. Uh, this is one thing that I think Barishan gets wrong in his internal POV. He thinks about, how, well, they must be working together. No, because if Yunkai takes Marine, his star is going to lose his kingship. So he's not actually, like, they are sort of in cahoots, but not as much as Barrison thinks. He thinks they're one and the same. They're not, and that's another problem with his political understanding. Um, and again, Ska has, um, uh, takes advantage of this. Just like Alira took advantage of Barrison, Barrison finds himself removed from power, but not from the period in pyramid, and he's not arrested. He's allowed to stay at court. Uh, his star replaces Danny's guards with pit fighters. Barry's allowed to stay his duties as sort of a watchman, and he gets to stay in Danny's vacated apartments with Masande. Masande's also allowed to stay there. But Skahaz plants this idea in his head that Hisdar was not only behind the poisoning, the poisoned locusts that have almost killed strong Belwas, but he's behind everything. He's behind the attack. Like, he's the harpy. And kind of, I would say, radicalizes Barristan, kind of pulls some wool over his eyes, because I, I don't think Hisdar's behind all of that. I don't think most people do. Um, but he gets him on board with the brazen beasts in a plan to depose Hisdar and take him into custody, although Skahaz just wants to kill him. Barristan says, no, 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 we have to have a trial. Uh, the same sort of thing happens in the show. It's like, everyone's like, Barristan, we don't have trials. That's that's not what we do in Slaver's Bay. And he's like, we gotta have one. Everyone's like, fine, whatever. Because he still has political cl clout. It still matters that he's connected to Danny. Um, and there's actually one particular moment that I really liked where uh, Barrison sort of commits to the plan. And it's this quote after the Yunkai, the Yunkish and Bloodbeard delivered the head of Admiral Grolio to the court. He says, he had served so many kings, he could not help but imagine they might have reacted to this provocation. Ares would have flinched away in horror, likely cutting himself on the barbs of the Iron Throne, then shrieked at his swordsman to cut the Yunkish men to pieces. Robert would have shouted for his hammer to repay Bloodbeard in kind. Even Jaehaerys, reckoned weak by many, would have ordered the arrest of Bloodbeard and the Yunkish slavers. And he compares them to Hisdar and says, Hisdar didn't do crap. He just sat there and let one of his men be killed and just kind of sat there in fright. And that's that's weirdly one of the moments where Barrison's like, okay, well, he's got to go. Yeah, I think that this is, you see the Ned Stark come out in Barristan during this, these chapters. The fact that the man does not truly know how to play the Game of Thrones now as we, see, we talked about a little bit earlier, when he was younger, he didn't attempt. He knew his place. He knew he was a fighter, and he stayed in his place. But now in his old age, he decides, you know, I'm going to be a matchmaker, part matchmaker, when he tries to go for, get Daenerys to marry uh, Quentin. But, you know, he goes and he tries to get that done. But she says, no, she doesn't want that. She's going to go marry his daughter. So that failed. And then he gets played like a fiddle here to arrest his daughter, which I think is, you know, one of the great, another great, a great moment for Barrison when he when he fights this pit fighter cast and that whole writing that George did with him fighting him. I wish I had it right in front of me right now. I read it to you. I know my friend Kevin Bridge for I think he did a video video on it. But this way he's fighting him and, and you see how and we talked about this too in, in the best fight of Westeros. How when you don't have plate armor on, you mm -hmm. know, it's such a disadvantage. I don't really care how good you are when you're fighting someone with full plate armor on, you know, and it, it only takes one mistake for you to get killed. And if you don't know how to fight someone with plate armor, you can't do it. And that's what he thinks when he's fighting him. He's like, oh, this guy has no idea 
how to fight someone and play arm. And even though this guy is throwing blows at him faster than him, he's still able to parry. <laughs> and the guy gets all mad and he's like, oh, only cowards wear armor. <laughs> This carriage about to kill you, <laughs> right? Down. So you're about to die in the hands of a coward. You can still throw down your weapon, and he does it, and then Barrison takes him out. So when you look at Barrison here again, even in his old age, there's a couple of things that we see Barrison do good. It, it comes back here. He's is jousting and fighting one-on-one battles. He's very good at those two two things. And we and we see this when he's when he's doing the charge. That's why he puts himself out there to do the initial charge because obviously that's jousting. Mm-hmm. And stuff. So it, it all comes back. And in the end, I think that's how we can see uh, his demise when it's all said and done. How it's gonna how it's gonna take place for him. Yeah, he's one of those guys that um, again, this is he is not good at strategy he's not good at politics but he finds a way to use the one skill he has his his amazing uh fighting skill in order to push through this plan like he didn't really have to do it that way but th- he's like this is how i'm useful also for the chat uh yes i have my silly hat on we got to 150 likes remember at yeah. 175 there's a second one over here with a cool pin on it. So we'll see if we can get there. Um, so like you were saying, uh, his stars arrested, kills Kraz. Um, there's a founding of the small council where they plan to de- they plan their defense of the sure-to-follow attack by Yunkai. He sends the Green Grace, which, bad idea. Don't do that. Don't send her to negotiate with the Yunkai. She's literally one of his Dara's got one of his Dara's people, probably the harpy herself. And she and he sends her to go negotiate with their enemies. Good one. It's also noted here that um, it's Barristan who kicks off Quentin's plan to steal the dragon because he informs him that um, they know you're Dornish. They know Dornish poison people, so they're going to blame you for the honeyed locust. Actually, it turns out Barrison was right about that one. That is what his dar was going to do through uh, Reznak Mo Reznak. I think that's his name. Uh, but it is Barristan. This is one of those moments where Quentin Martell, um, Garish Drinkwater, and Archibald Ironwood are very important people because they're a connection to the windblown. And Barristan here, when he has the opportunity to use this information to recruit Quentin to their plan and make the wind blown a part of the coup, instead he says, leave the city, and is this thinking of Quentin's um, cell, like his, um, what's the word, um, trying to protect him from, be- from being killed. Later he does this. Later Barristan actually goes like, wow, really, I, maybe I should have recruited them, goes to Garrus and, and uh, Archibald and gets them to go back to create the plan with the wind blown to, to essentially uh, to change sides. But here he totally fails. This is a total whiff on a swing and a miss on, a, uh, on an intrigue scale. This is a big, big problem for him. Um, Barrison also decides that their only option, because he's Barristan, is to attack the Yunkish to break the siege before the Volantine fleet arrives. Um, his reasoning, and actually I think this reasoning is correct, probably because it came from Skahas, that the Volantines have made a deal with the Masters of Marine that when they show up, the Marine is going to open the gates to the Volantine fleet and essentially use them to fight off the Yunkish and get rid of Danny's people. Essentially reestablish the slave trade between them. Um, so Barrison's like, well, we have to, we can't let this happen. We have to stop them. How does that go? Yeah, this was the same plan he, he wanted to use before, and now he's yeah. empowered and able to do it, you mm-hmm. know? So he's just doing what he always, what he wanted to do. And 
from what we've seen, it seems to be a little bit successful. It seems to be you know successful from the plan. And I think that's what Barristan is good at when it comes to fighting battles. You know, when it comes to doing things like that, attacking people and killing people, that's what he's good. He gets those things right. But when it comes to all the other political things, he truly doesn't know how to play that and doesn't do a good job when playing it. So I think he's it, it was a smart, smart plan. You can't just sit back and allow them to lob dead bodies into <laughs> your place and just, you're going to die from the inside out. You have to go on the aggressive. Uh, be aggressive is, is in a situation. It's kind of like if, if you're, you know, surrounded by a bunch of people or something like that, and you know there's one leader there, and you know if you could knock that leader out, that the other people would just fold. That's his attempt. That's what he's hoping that will happen. That if he can just go out there and scare these people and get them, knock them out, that he'll be able to t- seize them and take the advantage. And it seems that the plan is pretty much successful. It, it's a plan that works on exactly one front. Stopping the Yunkish, stopping the trebuchets. It doesn't do anything about the Volantine fleet. It doesn't do anything about the Masters and the Harpy because just defeating the Yunkish does not stop the Vol- the, the Volantine fleet from sacking your city when they open the doors for them. So it, it it solves one problem. It doesn't do much for the other. And that's kind of all Barristan really thinks he can do. He's kind of just hoping Drogon and Danny will show back up and the dragon power will essentially write things for him that's a bad plan but it's the only one he's got like you said it's the it's literally his only plan he's a hammer and everything's a nail so he's going to lead a charge it's going to be epic um but you know even if he wins this might be sort of like a rob stark situation where yes he won every battle but lost the war and barrison may be going just in that same way like what will danny think when she comes back like not only that, we also know that there's Dothraki hordes on the way, that the uh, the Yunkish have called in reinforcements from the Dothraki Sea. So Barrison's essentially going to try and fight off one army while two more are bearing down on him. And also he's outside the city. Yeah. Not sure about that one. Look at who he's got fighting with him. I mean, he's got this one person's got a snake around the neck. And I mean, what is <laughs> that supposed to do? I don't, I, I don't understand. I really I got all things. Like, if you're trying to get into a, a war, all right, I'll, I'm going to take this snake. Yeah. You're around my neck. And, you know, you have to focus on carrying this snake. You don't want the snake to fall off. What is that supposed to, unless you're going to throw the snake at someone and wrap them up like Jake the Snake Robert used to oh, do? Oh, right? yeah. I've seen him do it to Andre, and I see the <laughs> on Andre. <laughs> I mean, yeah, wrestlers show up. It is, but you know, his his it's not like his force is that good. You no. know what I mean? He's probably sitting back there saying, "All right, look look who I got fighting with me. This is the only chance we got. We got to buy time for Daenerys to come back. This is if we just sitting here. By the time she gets back, we're all gonna be dead anyway. So let's just go out there and see if we can scare them up to back them up." and then buy herself some time for her to come down. And I think that that's his initial plan, why he's doing it. Also, to not get the uh, pale mare. That's the, that's the real thing. That's the problem. He says, I would stay behind in the city if we are not currently under pandemic. Yeah, I mean, fair. Mm-hmm. Fair. Um, so that is, it leads off in a dance with dragons. Like you said, the corpses of those with the pale mare are being flung over the walls by the Yunkish trebuchets. But also, very important... Viserion and Rhaegal have been freed by Quentin Martell, who is now 100% dead. Um, they have taken up residence in two of the Great Pyramids, which also fucks with Barrison's plan, because now the Masters are even more angry than they were before, because 
uh, two of the great families have essentially almost been eradicated by the dragons and their homes are gone. So everything's going to hell. And Barristan, um, as we see in the Winds of Winter, says, all right, now's the time. We, we don't have a choice. The dragons are going to do very bad things. Danny's nowhere in sight. We got to go. And there's actually, um, so we have two chapters from Winds of Winter, but only um, transcript of one, which is kind of weird. We have the first one, and then we have a summary of the second. So in the first one, Barrison raises troops to charge out and fight. He gives an epic speech. He says, uh, whatever might befall us on the battlefield, remember, it has happened before and to better men than you. I'm an old man, an old knight, and I've seen more battles than most of you have years. Nothing is more terrible upon this earth, nothing more glorious, nothing more absurd. You may wretch. You will not be the first. You may drop your sword, your shield, your lance. Others have done the same. Pick it up and go on fighting. You may foul your breaches. I did in my first battle. No one will care. All battlefields smell of shit. Awesome. Thanks, Barrison. You may cry out for your mother. Pray to the gods you had forgotten. Howl obscenities that you never dreamed could pass your lips. All this has happened too. It's essentially his uh, halftime speech. Come mm -hmm. on, guys. We got to go out there. And again, his plan at this point is he's going to lead the cavalry straight out the gates. And they're going to go directly for the trebuchets, but he, they're also going to try and pick off any of the Yunkish commanders because the majority of the Yunkish forces are slaves, uh, the slave soldiers. So he reasons correctly, you kill the, you cut off the head of the snake, the slave soldiers, they don't even want to be there to begin with, they're, they're slaves. So they will probably stop fighting. Afterwards, the pit fighters come out and essentially yell like wrestlers, like you were talking about. Afterwards, the Unsullied will come out and form up and try and take advantage of their superior skills he also has this weird backup plan he's like well if we start killing people then the dragons will hear and smell the blood and maybe they'll come and help and let's be like i hope they don't roast us because we know them i don't yeah. i don't know what to make about that plan that's what he's thinking but you know you know yeah, let's see, it, it can end up one of two ways, you know. It, it, it could be the dragons do help you, and, you know, they're supposed to be smart type, you know, smart, and maybe they do, or they could burn your ass too, you know. So, do, do, I mean, I got. To, I guess at this point he's willing just to risk it, you know what I mean, because mm -hmm. he doesn't have anything else to, to go on. And so he has no choice. This is his last, his last line. I think that the speech is a great speech, mm -hmm. and I think it gives you a lot of insight of, of what what happens in battles. You know, there's a lot of people, as we've seen, Barrison Salmi is this folk hero, and everyone thinks, you know, oh, he's such a great fighter. He, but this is the same great fighter who shit his pants in his first battle, and that's a natural thing. You know, th these things happen no matter how great you are. You know, at some point you had to get to that point. And it's very rare for someone in Barrison's position to still be alive. Usually <laughs> those people are dead, right? Usually yeah. they're dead by now. But to make it as far as he has made it. So he has so much experience and so much knowledge. He's seen it all. You're not supposed to, you know, if you make it through one battle, one in your lifetime, you're very lucky. You're beating the odds. One, yeah. He's made it through them all. <laughs> everything he's done to do it even like usually we go back to robert's rebellion they said he was he was stabbed he was shot with an arrow he was hit with a lance he still survived still made it he, he still made it it's like you said when he when he when he, when he saved the king you know he he was part rambo part arnold schwarzenegger a little bit of claude van damme in there <laughs> and, and he made it out he has survived the odds 
for too long, I think, when it all comes down to it. We'll talk about that in, in a second, a little bit in a second, but he has made it too far for too long, and I can't see him making it out of this. And we have arrived at what he is doing in the winds of winter, because we were talking about the sample chapters. Um, the other sample chapter just basically tells us the fight is going good, but the main thing is that Victorian Greyjoy and the Ironmen have landed and are attacking. Barrison's very confused by this. He thinks for some reason it's Balon Greyjoy. He thinks it might be Theon. Who really knows? The important thing is that he sees it as a victory, that the Ironmen are there to help. Uh, you have not met your Victorian Greyjoy too much then, Barrison. He might even remember your exploits during uh, Balon's Rebellion. Probably not likely to help you, and he's definitely not there to help Barrison. He's there to either take Daenerys or a dragon with Dragonbinder and get the hell out of Marine. Uh, so, like you said, a lot of people think this might be Barrison's last chapter. Maybe one more. That um, he has skated by for a long time, and... The odds are very much stacked against him. Um, even if he wins, even if he wins this battle, he now has the Ironborn and Victorian Greyjoy to deal with. He now has to go back into the city and deal with Skahas, and he has to deal with Resnak Mo Resnak and the Green Grace and the Masters. And the Volantine fleet is still is still out there. Like this is win the battle. It, it appears that he might be on his way to lose the war and his life at the same time before Danny gets back. He's dead. He's not <laughs> I, I, I mean, he's dead. He's not going to make it out. I can tell you exactly how he's going to die. Oh. And I guarantee you that we all, when y'all see Read the Winds of Winter, remember you heard it from Tony Teflon, this is exactly how he's going to die. And it's if you look at, as I said before, it should be obvious to a lot of people when you, when you follow his history. When you look at Barris and some, he's known for a couple of things. That's one-on-one fighting and, and jousting and stuff like that. And when I've met many boxers, I'm friend, friends with a lot of professional boxers. So when they get older, like even if you see Mike Tyson, you may have seen Mike Tyson 50 years old mm. doing his bar and stuff, and he looks real good, looks in shape. Listen, he looks great, but if he goes out there and he fights one of these young heavyweights, Mike Tyson will get knocked out. And the reason why is this, and this is what they all told me. They said that when you reach a certain age, your mind knows what to do, but you're just two seconds slower in doing it. So you just can't pull the trigger fast. Mm -hmm. So they say they describe it as you could see the door, but you just can't walk through it. This is what's going to happen to Barris and Selmy when he runs into Victoria on Greyjoy because Victoria is looking for a big name. He wanted to fight a big name. He's, He's begged. He's always trying to fight someone. He wants a name on his ledger to fight. And I think that's what's going to happen. You look at the people, he's Maley's the monstrous and all the people that he's defeated one-on-one. If he was younger, he would beat Victorian Greyjoy. But the fact that he's older, he's going to die at the hands of Victorian Greyjoy. That's how he's going to go out. He's going to go out in a one-on-one fight like we've seen. He's been successful in all these other fights, but he will not be successful in this last fight. He will die at the hands of Victorian Greyjoy. Quote the Don, we pull the strings. That's <laughs> I, yeah, it makes sense, and especially because Barristan is likely he already trusts the Ironborn for some reason. He's like it, he mentions like the what is that the the hammer and the anvil. We have them. We have them. It's like your anvil's Victorian goddamn Greyjoy, who mm-hmm. has no 
like people in the story, Barrison himself and other people are like, boy, Barrison does not have a lot going up on upstairs. Victorian has nothing. George has called him dumb as a stump. He sees, yeah, like he said, he sees Barry. He's going right for him. Although the one thing that gives me pause about him dying in this initial attack is that Danny isn't there. And I think that he probably won't die until he sees Danny. At, just from George's perspective, that is the emotional weight that it would have. Like, Danny comes back and just hears that Barrison is dead. Oh, that sucks. But if she comes back and sees him wounded and um, maybe on his last legs, kind of like Quentin, that could, that could be how it would go out. Um, it, it could be a situation where they don't, he doesn't get killed initially, right? At that particular yeah. point, like Danny does come back. And then he, Victoria's like, I'm taking Danny's coming with me. Yeah. And he over my dead body and he pulls his sword out. And Victoria, he's with the one on one fight. He also was, undead. He'd be like, Yep, you you wanna fight me, old man? Let's go. And <laughs> the advantages that he had fighting when you seen him, like when he fought when he fought Kaz Karaz or whatever his name, Kaz Karaz. Kraz, I think. He didn't have any armor on, right? Yeah. And if he did have armor on he, or, or knew how to fight someone with armor, he probably would have beat him. But it's the fact that he didn't have armor. Victoria Grazier is coming armored up. Yeah. He knows how to fight with armor. He's not going to be afraid. And he's he is dying to put a name on his ledger. He has no big names. And he's dying. He wanted to fight Robert. He wants to fight someone so he can have a name on his ledger. His name is going to be Barrison Selma. Usually... When you, if you watch boxing or anything, or even UFC fights, when you see the big stars, they usually don't lose to the other big stars. They usually lose to people who aren't as good as mm-hmm. them. Like George St. Pierre lost to Matt the Terracera. Who the hell is Matt the Terracera? You know what I mean? But that's who his first loss was. Uh, you know, uh, Julio Jorge Chavez, undefeated. Who did he lose to? Surgeon, uh, the Randall Surgeon, uh, Randall Bailey, the surgeon. That guy didn't do anything. He never beat anyone after that. That's the way it usually happens. Usually mm-hmm. you, you don't lose to the superstars. And I don't think Victoria Grager, it's on the level Barrison ever one-on-one. Nope. But at his age right now, I think he's got the, enough skill to take him out. I think that's definitely something that George will be playing with. I mean, the inclusion of Victorian. And also, whatever's going on with Dragonbinder seems a little weird. Um whatever's gonna happen, it's not what Barriston wants. I think that I think that's pretty clear. Um I also I want to introduce, though, a counter theory, uh, one written by uh, Jeff, a.k.a. Brendan Beefish from the NotCast podcast. Uh, although, I'm not sure if he came up with this, but this is where I read it first. It's from his Blood of the Conqueror series, and he titles it, hang on, let me scroll up because it's a long one, because Jeff is long-winded, as he always is, uh, The Turncloak. And he pulls out a very interesting idea that Barristan is extremely afraid of serving another Ares. He's extremely afraid of serving someone that he thinks is immoral. And the gist of the theory is that Danny's change at during the Dothraki Sea, her embracing the fire, fire and blood, her ideas that dragons plant no trees, she's not coming back the same person. She's coming back 
her goals have changed, what she wants has changed, maybe her willingness to unleash Drogon on people has changed. In the show, this uh, came through with her um, saying she's going to burn down Yunkai. Um, okay, sure, that's what, that's their interpretation of that, but I, I don't think that's far off that she's going to come back a more driven and different person. And whether or not she's quote-unquote mad is not really the point. The point is that Barristan sees Ares everywhere. And Ares in particular has a huge love for Rhaegar Targaryen. Now what happens if Barrison survives the Battle of Fire, he sees Danny doing things that he thinks are too Ares-like, and he learns about the supposed son of Aegon, the supposed son of Rhaegar, young Griff aka Aegon in the Seven Kingdoms. Would he, as he has been internally thinking about, would he leave Danny if he if he thinks that she has lost her way, if she's becoming the Mad Queen? What do you think about that one? I I think that it's a solid theory. Mm-hmm. I can understand why he would think that that would happen. Uh, the fact that we don't we don't have the young Griff in the show, so we can't really look towards the show in it. But I will say I don't like to put the show in it. If he was going to do some type of maneuver, you mm-hmm. know, whether turn his cloak on 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 Danny or do something like that. I, I think they would probably have somehow shoehorned that into the show. Obviously, I don't believe he's going to die at the hands of the harpies or anything. You know, that's not going to happen. It's not going to be like that. No, that you was know? crazy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like Luke Skywalker getting shot by a stormtrooper, right? You yeah. Know, that's not, you know, you're not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to go out like that. So, no, I, I, I understand why he says it, and I just don't see him doing that. It's not really in the character that we've seen from this man so far that he would just jump ship and just go over. I would see him supporting a marriage between them more, like he was trying to get with, with more, you know, he was trying mm-hmm. to quit more than just jumping ship. I could see him trying to encourage. But as for her coming back and being this this burnings and just wanting to kill, I don't see him jumping or I don't see her doing that turn. I do believe she'll do a, a form of a turn. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be that crazy to at this point where Barrison's gonna be like, "Whoa, whoa, this chick's this chick's out of mind." <laughs> I, I, got, I got I got to leave. I got a bad jump ship right now. I, I don't. I think that he'll get. I'm gonna stick with mine. He's gonna kill Big Victorian Greyjoy, and then Danny's gonna burn Victorian after he does it. That's how Victorian dies. That's why Coral says. I see a bright future that a glimpse of bright future that awaits you. That's because Danny's gonna burn him to kill embarrassed. And he's gonna Ooh, take him. interesting. Uh, most likely eaten too. Because we haven't seen him dragons eat a main character like that really. We got we got someone's gotta get eaten. So I, Victorian probably get eaten up. There you go. Uh, so I dropped the link in the chat if you guys want to read uh, Jeff's theory about that. Um, I think there are, there's probably other people have talked about it too, but it's very interesting, especially if you're getting inside um, why Barristan is so consistently questioning his loyalty to who's, who's, who he is uh, currently following. Like, it's obvious why Hisdar, it's obvious for Ares, but is this something that's going to continue or has embarrassed his mind as he settled on the right person? Although we do know he gave her a tryout and he was very worried for quite a while that she was the mad queen until he discovered, Oh wait, never mind. That's not really her character, but you know, characters change. Um, so I, th- I think we agree though, that Barristan is not going to make it out of the winds of winter that George maybe has maybe like one or two more chapters for him, maybe a dying chapter. Um, 
I don't even think he's going to see Westeros. It'll probably I, like the trip from uh, Slaver's Bay to Westeros takes weeks or months. And if he's wounded or anything like that, I, I don't think he's going to make it. I think it, I think it will actually be a, a great character moment pushing Danny West that maybe she does it for Barrison because he has been a consistent voice in her ear that she needs to abandon Marine and go west now. Maybe like a promise to him. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, I think he's gonna die. I think he won't die in his own chapter. I think he's gonna die in Vic's chapter. I think he's gonna see it from Vic's point of view, and he's gonna be talking about how he disguised old, but he's still fast enough and blah blah. But you know, as we've seen with Vic, he's willing to take a couple of shots to land one blow. You mm-hmm. know, he'll let him hit him to get close enough so he could just drop the axe on him, and that's what's going to happen when I would love to see Barrison versus the White Walkers. I would love to see it. Oh, it'd be great to see him fight that battle. But no, it, it, he's he's survived too much for too long, and this this is it's got to end for him. And this is the end for him when it's all said and done. Unfortunately, I love Barrison. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think anyone really has too much bad to say about this one character, but he he can't survive. This is Game of Thrones. He can't survive. Song of Ice and Fire. He can't survive. And you got to prune the characters. I mean, The Winds of Winter can't be five books long. He only has two more books planned, so characters got to go. Just like Ares Hokart getting his head chopped off. Uh, Barrison's probably one of those that has the head on a chopping block, um, one way or another. Um, oh, by the way, we're only eight away from me. Uh, so we get to 170. Oh, never mind. Seven more people are slamming the like button right now. Please slam that like button. 204 people walking, watching right now, taking your Saturday out to watch me and Tony Teflon talk about Barrison Selmy. Not the most popular character, but definitely a very interesting one, I would say. Um, so I think now we'll we'll go and take some questions that I uh, got ahead of time from Patreon, Twitter, and YouTube, and also uh, in the chat. You know, throw the Q and A's at us. We'll pick up interesting ones as we go. Um, so the first one here from uh, patron Eric Forig, he says, of his alleged allies, who do you think is most likely to betray and kill Barry? How do you think it will go down? Well, we already know how you think it will go down, but do you think yep. there's a an idea that it won't be Victorian, that is somebody from within Barrison's coalition that is going to essentially uh, kill him? No, I no. don't think. Uh, no, no. I don't think a lot of them are going to survive. We saw this with charge <laughs> and all that. They just can't. They're not... They're not they're not built for that type of war. You know what I mean? It's two different type of war. They're just not built for. You can't go in there with a snake around your neck and think you're gonna win. I mean, Barrison says it. He's looking at that guy. He's like, that that, that person would be dead a little bit. That won't take <laughs> Yeah, he does say that. He's like, they're not making it. Um, I would, I would guess that uh, the Green Grace would be the most likely of his current allies to turn on him. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking battle wise. If you oh, battle wise, battle wise. Um, I don't think anybody in the battle is likely to. Try and kill him, but uh, those left behind in in uh, Marine, I think the Green Grace is at the top of the list. Maybe Skahas. Skahas is using Barristan. He doesn't want him. He want Skahas wants to take over Marine as uh, the shave paint and essentially return it to the Freemen. Barristan doesn't have a role in that. Um, also, we hit the likes. So here we go. The new Germ hat with the turtle pin on it. The bright green turtle pin. There we go. One that actually fits my head this time. Because the other one is way too small and I have a giant fucking head. That's how that goes. Turns out you can just buy this on Amazon for 20 bucks. Because, you know, why not play dress up? Um, Another one uh, from, let's see here. 
Uh, let's grab another one from uh, patron Eric F. He says, should Barry have just stayed inside the walls and let the attackers be overcome by the flux? I assume the pandemic is easier to manage inside rather than siege positions. Uh, no, I, I disagree. I, I think he is right that you cannot sit inside Marine while the pale mare is running. The, that is a way to end, make sure that the one advantage you have, which is the unsullied, ends up catching it and dying. You can't let that happen. you got to use them. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, the best defense is offense in this particular time, you know what I mean? And you have to go out there and attack. You can't just sit there and let your, all your people get infected. We don't know if they have any masks back then. I don't think so. And if they did, they probably people weren't willing to wear them now. They probably weren't willing to wear them back then either. So <laughs> I just don't think it would They didn't know what germs were. So. No, I don't think it would work at all. I think you, you have to get from underneath that. You have to just get out there and and, and seize it. And it said you got to scare these people. If you can scare people the right way, they will retreat. And it seems like you know in the, in the, in the sample chapter that that that, that's, uh, that the person took down, seems that that's exactly what happens. That people just start you know hitting into each other and ramming into each other. And you know you can't come out there and bunch stilts and you know, <laughs> the parents, Yeah. Oh my god. In the war, it doesn't work. That's, that's only in the movies. You're going to get chopped right there. Barrison's right. That's their advantage. They got to use it. Uh, question from the chat. Uh, Joshua Huffman says, Who from Bravos is near Danny? Is it possible they don't have anyone near her? Is it Masande? So, this is the Masande faceless man theory. You ever heard this one? I have not. Please let me hear it now. So, a lot of people have noticed that Masande is extremely clever for an 11 year old and that uh, she seems to know everything. It's actually bear bore out in these Barrison chapters that she's more or less the spy master within the pyramid. She knows everything before it happens. Uh, she knows a tons of languages, and people have wondered if Masande is actually a faceless man who is there watching Danny much in the same way that Barristan was watching her, trying to judge, is this the return of the Freehold, or is this a different kind of Targaryen dynasty? Um, I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no. I think, you know, I've heard everyone was a faceless man. You know, yeah, I've heard, everybody. I, I know people, you know, it's like I've heard everyone's a Targaryen. I know people want, you know, no. No, no, I, I just no, I just don't think so. No, I think that she's just a girl I, that that knows all these languages. I mean, mm -hmm. it's possible when you have a certain, and I don't, I'm not going to call it idiot savant because she's not an idiot, but when you have people who have abilities like that that can uh, master. I, I, I'll say this: my 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 younger my daughter, my daughter, she is uh, 15 years old. All right, mm -hmm. she speaks four languages at 15. There you go. All right, it's possible, and she, and she taught it all herself. She. No one taught her. She didn't go to school to learn it or anything else. She taught it all herself. She just got books on YouTube and Rosetta Stones. And now she speaks all these languages. And, she, and then she's telling me that she wants to learn up to 20. She just has the capability to hold these in her head for whatever reason. I couldn't do it, but she's able to do it. So I just think that certain people have certain abilities to do things. Yes, the characters don't have to have magical reasons for why they're good at things. There's no magical reason why Barrison's a great swordsman, or why he's an amazing jouster, or why he's an action hero. That's just his character, same for Masande. She's just an impressive person, I would say. Although, fun theory, I do like the idea that the Faceless Men are watching Danny. They would definitely be interested in the return of the dragons. So I think that's basically where that theory comes from. People going like, so why, why aren't the Faceless Men paying attention? Well, maybe they are. But it's probably not through Masande. 
fun. There's a lot of fun theories. I love every theory that anyone comes up with. I, I love them all because it all everything is worth, you know, anything to keep everything alive and just it's, it's to make you think a little bit more. It's great. So it's a great it's a great theory. I understand why people would think it. But when looking at the actual story itself, I just don't think it's that much faceless. I think it's kind of like I call it the, the Boba Fett effect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That everyone loved Boba Fett in, in Star Wars because of his armor when he first came out. But he really was just meant to be a, a small character. Uh, but he got so popular in the fandom that, you know, and George had killed him off. They had to find a way to bring this man back in all these other movies because people just loved his character so much. I think you get that a lot in this fan and that people just, oh, the faceless men and so <laughs> in love with them. They want to see so much more of them. They want to put them in other situations that they're not in. Yeah. Uh, a, a comment here from Scott McCoy. He says, Joe's hat is great, but Tony's rocking that fedora. I agree. Tony, Tony's one of the more stylish guys in the fandom, I would say. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's not easy for me to find a hat that fits my head. I'm extremely small head. So, oh, talk. opposite problems. Cool. <laughs> uh, so, another question from the chat: Guilty Undertaker says, "How much responsibility does Barristan bear for the state of the Kingsguard?" Robert and Cersei did him no favors, but as Lord's as Lord Commander, the buck stops with him. That I, that's an interesting question. So. Should Barrison have done more when uh, Robert started appointing shitty people um, to mentor them? Or was Barrison kind of checked out at that point? Because it is noted that quite a lot of the Kingsguard that Barrison's overseeing are not great dudes. I don't think that he has... I never heard of the Kingsguards that have the role to appoint these people. So I don't know if, if that's overstepping his bounds if he said, you know, hey, I don't think you should do it. So maybe he did, but I don't think he could just put people in the king's guard. You have to have the king do that. Yeah. And you have to think that though it happened to him when he got dismissed, that, that he's seen that they didn't like him, that he knew Cersei didn't like him. He knew that Jamie didn't like him. You know, he didn't like Jamie. You know, he always talked about how Jamie should be wearing a black cloak, right? Yeah. So he knew that they didn't like him and stuff. So he probably was just keeping his mouth shut to keep his head and just keep his position, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, he also can't dismiss them. Like, it's, it's an appointment for life. So they're there, um, Barrison has to deal with them, and it's it's more or less. I think it's more or less up to the king to deal with his king's guard as he wants. Like obviously, it's sort of a military organization, and Barrison bears some responsibility for maybe not doing more to bring bad behavior to the attention of the king and Robert. But it seems like Robert didn't give a shit. So I don't know how much he really could have done, like for Boros Blunt and those kind of assholes. That's just kind of yeah. what are you gonna do? Yeah, I don't think he could have really affected that it's not any it's not jay or mormont's fault that there are assholes in the night's watch either he has really no control over it um let's see here uh let's grab one from youtube um uh you uh cindy taylor says do you think barrison daenerys will ever talk more about rayella eris and rhaegar i know they've talked about them but not very much uh, she goes into a lot more here, but it's basically the idea of Barrison has told Danny some parts of her past. She has filled in some of the blanks, or he has filled in some of the blanks, but unlike the show, Danny doesn't believe him. Danny's still more or less clinging to the idea that Viserys told her that the evil usurpers and Aerys is misunderstood. Oh, oh, he actually, she actually has a good beat on Rhaegar, but it's also a really frustrating habit that Barristan gets really close to revealing good information and then stops his story 
stories like two sentences short and uh if they have a meeting again do you think this kind of stuff will come up is do you think maybe that's the whole reason that barristan may not die in the battle of fire but afterwards just for this kind of conversation yeah it's it that's the only way i, I see her getting a true history but i i think that i think I think he may give a little bit, you know, but I don't think it's, he's going to be around much longer to to drop uh, much to her. I think that she's going to have to go on what she knows, and I think that she's going to learn a little bit more. I think, in fact, I think it will be where she will learn more about Rhaegar is going to be from John Connington. I think that mm. that that's going to tell her, because obviously this is a man who was, I think everyone agrees that he was in love with Rhaegar, right? That's just, that's that's. That's almost canon, right? That he's, mm -hmm. he's loving. He's His loving. silver prince, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think that that's where she'll find out, you know, oh, you, you, he'll say John Connington. And then Mabel should say, well, maybe Barristan was right. Maybe the things we was telling was right. When she gets confirmation from somebody else, because obviously just from one person, it's not good enough for her right now. So John Connington will probably be the one to say other, other things to her. I would definitely love to hear the end of some of these stories. Like, in particular, Barristan stopped short of saying which Stark Ashara had eyes for. You're you're meant to assume it's Ned. It was, was it Brandon? Um, all these other little things where it's like George is just messing with us, and he's messing with us for a reason. I'm hoping that yes, we definitely get more Targaryen history, more insights into these family into this family that Barristan knew very well. Uh, he's one of the few people literally left alive in the story that even knew them at all so it would be a shame to have him die without passing on that information to maybe one of the two characters other than john that this would matter to the very most um let's see here um let's grab one from uh from twitter uh matt cutie cootie matt cootie something like that uh talk about how it was all barristan's fault that the realm were, uh, fell to pieces because he just had to go and be a hero at duskadale this is something we talked about earlier but um yeah it's it is so bizarre that such an act of heroism that everyone loves him for and it's just one of those moments where maybe you should have let it go man and that's something that he thinks about a lot in these chapters where He's trying to do the opposite of Duskendale now. He's trying to not do his duty, but to do what's smart for the realm. That That's sort of how he's internalizing that. And that switch is a, is a fascinating way for George to take that character, I would say. Everyone likes to be the Monday night quarterback, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's easy. You know, it's easy. You're like, oh, when you're watching the game and he throws that pass, you say, yes, but it's an interception. Oh, that guy should have never threw that pass. He would have won the game. <laughs> to go back and look at it at that particular time. But he did the right thing. I mean, he did the right thing that he could, and he should have succeeded, right? He should have got caught himself. He, it, it, this was unbelievable odds that he went against to be able to pull yeah. this off, you know? so He was supposed to fail. Did it. He shouldn't have done it. He shouldn't have been able to do it. He shouldn't have been able to, to get away with it, but he did. So that's what makes it even more incredible. But, you know, you can't say... Yes, obviously, if Tywin would have stormed them and they would have killed the king, and all this stuff would have happened. But there's so many other things yeah. that happened after that that made this king go the way he did. So you can't put that on Barristan. 
Definitely. Uh, I also want to note that uh, In Deep Geek is in the chat. Um, people have been asking about the video you guys have going live in just a couple minutes. Um, yes. It's pre-recorded about the Children of the Forest. Uh, we were supposed to be done, but we had a technical problem. So sorry about that. We'll be going a little bit longer till about 4.20ish because that's we started about 20 minutes late. Uh, if you guys want to drop links in the chat, check it out afterwards. I'm sure it was it will be a great video because I know you have many opinions about the <laughs> Children of the Forest and exactly how evil they are. They are very evil. They're little tree humpers, peeping toms. And you know that that's what they do. They're just peeping toms, tree humpers. And I go into all that with Robert. I thank Robert for having me on the channel in order to talk about that. He's doing it for a great charity, too. So definitely check out that video when it does premiere and everything else. So that, And if you can, support the cause that he's got out there. I'll donate a couple of dollars. It's really for a good cause. So, yeah, I really had a great time doing it. And uh, when I'm done here, I'm going to go and I'm going to watch that. I'll be in the chat and I'll be more active in the chat than I am. I got to keep up with Joe, you know. Yeah. I can't. I got to keep up with Joe, so I can't. I can't be in the chat all the time like I normally am. Just, so I apologize to people who wanted to see me in the chat. I just talk so fast. Um, yeah. Again, sorry, Robert. Our fault. Uh, audio problems. Didn't mean to do that. Um, My. Well, no, both of ours. We, it's okay. <laughs> um, my channel is supposed to work correctly. Um, so let's grab another. Let's see if we can grab something from the chat. See if anybody dropped a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, people are throwing down theories about the red wines are the white wines. Oh my God. Get out of here. <laughs> what are you doing, Danny? <laughs> Terrible theory. Wrong. Um, Varys is a merman. Varys is a merman. There's a one. <laughs> he just keeps swinging, don't you, swimming, don't you know? He just keeps swimming. <laughs> just keeps swimming. Um, so here's one from Isabel uh, Lamego. Any chance we see Barrison and Tyrion interacting and helping Daenerys grow as a ruler? What would this interaction look like? The angel and devil on her shoulders. I believe Tony believes that this won't happen because he's next level going to die. But if he does survive, I think that is definitely one of those characters crossing I think would be really interesting. I, I do. I think that I would love to see it. I would love to see them. And, and it would be a... Uh, a devil and an angel on both sides, on both shoulders, if that was the case. Uh, for that reason, probably reason why I don't think it's going to happen that way either. <laughs> I don't think they're going to set that up that way. Uh, he has to go. It's too many characters, and I just think that you get rid of one person to have the other person take his place. Mm. You, have, you can't have all these POVs in the same area telling the same story, right? You, yeah. So you have to get rid of these POVs, so you only have one POV telling this story. So I don't think they'll be together for that reason. It's going to be Tyrion's POV. Barrison will be dead, and that's that. Because how could you do Barrison's POC? You have Tyrion say something, and then have Barrison answer it in his POV, and then <laughs> jump back and forth like that. This won't work, so Barrison will be gone. But I do think that it would be good to see. I would like, I would like to see it. That'd be cool interaction. And George even kind of did that with Quentin and Barrison at the end of A Dance with Dragons. And uh, I don't know, it, it came off kind of weird. He also did that trick with Samwell and John, where they would have a conversation, then you'd see the other side just a couple chapters later. Like, Quentin's dead, so that one's done. Uh, Barrison, yeah. And maybe uh, the show did a very different version of Jorah. But I wouldn't be surprised if some part of that comes back that there's he's still alive for a reason. George has not killed him for some reason. So his reintroduction, maybe to take Barrison's place, um, 
that could be something that happens. I mean, that's also one interaction I would like to see. Jorah's interactions during the Battle of Fire, will he interact with Barristan there? Will they see each other? That would be something, uh, especially because they left on bad terms. Barristan essentially got him exiled from Danny. That would be a Dark Horse character to kill Barristan, I would say. You know, I just don't think he got the skill to do it. I, I I don't think that his skill level is 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 good enough to kill Barrison. I don't think he could take Barrison. I think Barrison wiped the floor with him even at his age. I just don't I don't see him having that enough enough talent to get rid of Barrison. It'd be funny though if he like fell off his horse and he just runs up and runs him through or something like that. Anything could happen in the yeah, fight. Yeah. You know he could he could be on a horse and he fall off and his leg get caught in the rung and get dragged and then you know he can get caught like that. Of course. Uh, but I, I just, I, and if he did kill, Danny likes Barristan. I, I just don't see how he would be able to pull that off and still be down with Danny, you know. So uh, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see them two fighting that way, you know. Mm -hmm. Although fun fact, uh, as we start talking about Jorah, a guy named Bear Island Josh in the chat shows up, and first comment I've seen yells Jorah lives. So, all right, got some Jorah fans out there. Good time. It's hard for me sometimes because you know they combine this character and it's showing it's fresh in your head. You know what I mean when you when you see all this because very different. You don't know who that's going to be. Is is that going to be Jorah with Danny? Is he going to fight the White Walkers with Danny? Is it going to be is it going to be John Connington? He's got both of those roles. He's got some. They gave him three people, I think, in the show. Uh, but he's got both of those parts in him, so you, you just don't know where, where, where he's going to end up. And Marwin the Mage. Marwin's on his way too. There's this so many counselors coming to Danny at this moment. And she's not there, which is even better by George. <laughs> uh so question here from uh Michelle Carter. She said, uh she she said, Yay, double exclamation point. So looking forward to the collaboration of you and Tony. Thank you. Uh her question was, Well, will Barrison make it to Westeros with Danny? You already said no. But I think the second part of the question is very interesting. If Danny leaves, what's gonna happen to Marine? Because you can't rule Marine from King's Landing. And the show essentially said, like, King Dario, I guess. But what would you think would happen? Would she really just abandon Marine after all this effort she's put into it? You know, I, I really like, you know, when, when, when you, when you, you know, I know, I know we're not talking about the show in this, but I do like the Bay of Dragons. I like the name. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they made that up, you know. It, it, it seems like too good for them to have made up. I mean, I mean it's a simple name. It mm -hmm. truly is. Like, a lot of people could have thought of it, but I don't know if they thought of it. So I do believe it could be a situation like that, that someone gets left behind to, to, to rule it in her name. Uh, so I, hopefully that's the way it goes. But I don't know exactly who it would be, if it would be Dario. I, I don't know. I guess Skyhawks, right? Plum could be it. Who knows? You know, oh. it, it, it could be somebody left behind the rule. That's a good point because uh, the show really cut out most of the sellsword companies, but there's like five or six in action around Marine at the moment. You've got the Company of the Cat. You've got the Windblown. You've got the Second Sons with Brown Ben Plum, as you said. You've got the you got the um, the Windblown, the Tattered Prince, who has been promised Pentos. Um, in the show, they kind of ran out of characters to install as rulers, but there's there's an endless amount uh, if you want to from George's perspective, I would say. Yeah, and Tyrion's got to get rid of Brown Bed and Plunk. He owes him, right? So, <laughs> so he's, something's got to happen with him. He's got to get rid of him. He's got to do something with him to satisfy him. You know, so that that could be a that could be somehow if Tyrion pulls that off and gets him that, and Brown Ben is, accepts that, and that's just what it is. You know, so but something has to happen between them, or 
you know, he, he could go after Tyrion. Yeah, that, that is a big problem. He's, we, he promised them cash. Did he cast? Did he promise him cash on the rock or just yeah. the gold? I think the cash on the rock itself. Oh, yeah, he has to die. He can't make it. <laughs> <laughs> or he's got to get a better offer. Um, although that is, that is kind of the plot of the War of the Nine Penny Kings, where all these um, characters like Brown Ben Plum and the Tattered Prince join Melee's the Monstrous with the the promise that they would get castles in Westeros and they would carve it up. If Danny has to do something like that in order to do her own conquest, that would be an interesting way of linking back. And I don't think most people would even make a connection between Melee's and Danny, but that would be fascinating if George makes that connection, especially since Barristan's there. Barristan knows Melee's. He killed him. It's like, hmm, history repeats itself. Indeed. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Michelle Carter's in the chat says, thank you for answering my question. No, thank you for leaving one. That was a good question. Uh, unfortunately, the first part kind of got negated by both of us thinking that Barry will not leave Slaver's Bay, most likely, um, and will probably die. Um, Guilty Undertaker says he thinks the Shafe pay. I think that's the most likely. He seems the most ambitious, and he has the, um, the support of the freedmen. So if there's some kind of large-scale um, social revolution in Marine, Skahas and the Brazen Beasts, I mean, they are the security forces, and they have a popular movement. I would guess that would be who Danny would trust and then not feel great about it because it's Skahas, and that he wants to kill children really bad. Yeah, no, that that's a good that's a good person. It's gonna be someone, you know. I I, I just said I don't I don't think Dan and D and D did that on their own. I don't think they made that up or made hmm. that name up. I think they were told that that's what's gonna happen. So who it's going to be could be anybody's guess, but that's definitely a good one. I would love the King of Marine to be the guy with the blue hair and the yellow mustache. Seems <laughs> perfectly Marine, I would say. Um. Oh, good. People are just yelling out bad um, theories. Steven Stark says the Eerie is a spaceship. Sure. Believe that okay. one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's good. Secretly sci-fi. The the Eerie is just going to pick up and blast out in the space. Sure. Yeah. The, that's what the Giant's Lance is. It's a spaceship. Absolutely. Amazing. amazing that they may have a spaceship before they had airplanes. <laughs> amazing. And before they had cars, that would be amazing for them to pull that off. That'd be amazing. Um Let's see here. Um, we got one here uh, from patron Eric Forig. Um, he says, keep in mind that the author is a hippie. What is the function of Barrison as a POV? Is Are you supposed to see him as like a doddering old fool? And he kind of, he does not really engage too well with the Miranese people. He has trouble keeping them apart. He doesn't like their food. He's like trying to install Westeros while he's there with like the small council and the bringing of knights. Um, or is he supposed to be more like a sympathetic warrior who has been betrayed by politicians over and over again? What, what do you think is the purpose of Barristan Selmy as a POV? I think Barrison is, is is to he to me Barrison is an old soul. He's an old man stuck in his ways. Hmm. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I just think that his thing is to bring the old school Westeros and show you how people think in Westeros and how they think about these people from uh, o overseas. How he how he views them from his mm -hmm. his old world aspects. And I think that's what his purpose is of having his POV there. And also, he, he's kind of a classic POV for George in the sense that he does not like to give very smart characters or characters who really understand the situation your viewpoint because it allows them to hide things behind him. Barristan, in particular, says over and over again in his head, like, I don't understand what's going on. This is beyond me. I'm not much for this stuff. But it's clearly there. 
And it's kind of like how we will never get a Varus or Littlefinger POV. They know too much. They are too smart. The same for Skahas, the same for Hisdar, the same for Resnak and Moresmak. Like, these guys, they would reveal the plot. So in that sense, that what Bar that's what Barrison does on a practical level. But yeah, I, I think uh, you make a good point. He's also kind of an exposition machine. These four chapters are just tons of exposition about the Targaryens and the attorney at Harrenhal. Yeah, they gave Victorian Greyjoy POV just because he's stupid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why he has it. That's why they gave it to him, because he doesn't know what's going on. He, you know, he has no idea what's going on in his own boat. boat. He has no idea what's going on with the dusky women. You know, they, they tell him, hey, to claim that. To claim this horn, it must be claimed with blood. So he goes, oh, let me just rub my blood on top of the horn. I mean, he, he, no one said to do that. <laughs> that's how you claim it, rubbing your blood on it. But that's Don't. the thing that comes to your mind. So, you know, he's not a smart guy. And you need people like that because you, you don't want to get, when you do a POV book style, you don't want to give away what happens in future chapters, right? You that That's the whole reason why you do the POV, to make people want to go to it. You have to wait till they get get back to a person that's around that person to understand it. So you can't have someone who would know everything and give it up. There's no re reason to read the next chapters after. Exactly. Uh, also, I want to say uh, hi to somebody in the chat that just showed up. Uh, Alicia Kingston, AKA 47 just showed up and this is actually a good time to say that, that next week, Alicia Kingston will be following Tony up. We'll, me and her will be talking about Ario Hota, same time next week. So going again with the series of Gurns POVs he's talking about, from Barrished into Ario, kind of a similar character, um, sort of the uh, duty-obsessed guard who's questioning their loyalties. Well, Ario doesn't do that quite as much as Barristan does, but... Uh, that's one of those things that people go like, well, Ario's next level dead, kind of like Barristan. It's like George has kind of done that. <laughs> He's done that one in spades by this point. And Jamie, I would say, seems to be a more interesting version of Barristan and Ario, kind of, and Ari Sokart even. Yeah, I I think that'd be a great thing. Can't wait for y'all to, to watch that when y'all do that. You know, I can tell you that Oreo will not go out like he went out in the show. I can I can, I can guarantee you <laughs> that, that it won't be no little ass dagger stabbed in his back and he just makes a, a little grimace and falls on the floor and he's dying. I guarantee it won't go out. It won't be like that. No, Show Dorn was not awesome, to say the least. Um no Quentin Martell, no Aryan, and you sort of just get stuck with the Sand Snakes and Duran, but not even a good Duran, and you don't even get to see Ario too much. It, it was it wasn't great, but the um, George's conception of the Dorn the Dornish and what they're doing is far more fascinating. It is, and Ario's again one of those characters where he kind of knows what's going on. He kind of gets bits and pieces from Duran about what his plan is, but he's more or less the again the limited pov to create the tension which is awesome and yeah i have i have a lot of comments on it but i will save them for the chat for you guys to do your thing there you go uh so reached about two hours here um so i think this is a good time to plug all the stuff tony what do you got going on what do you want the people to check out all right so you can check out teflon tv that's my channel <laughs> <laughs> okay anything. check that out uh, tonight, I do believe I'm streaming at like 8, 8.30. I think Sam Rixian is on with me. Uh, LMR is on with me. Uh, I think Drinks and No Things is on with me. I think we have like eight people on there. I think oh, we're going to be- Oh, a party. Huh? A party. 
It's a big party. And I think we're going to be talking about the ending for characters in season eight, if we think that it's going to end the same way for them in the books uh, as we see in the show, if we liked it, if we didn't like it or anything else. So that's what we're going to be going through, all the characters and talking about that. I have that. I'm on Rivers channel right now. Yeah, right now. <laughs> Tony's on two different YouTube channels at the same time. Only I'm on Rivers channel right now. I should definitely go to Deep Geek and check that out. But uh, I have a video coming out on Monday. Besides that, we'll be uh, talking why Tyrion is not the three heads of the dragon. I just did a three heads of the dragon video mm -hmm. uh, and, and gave why I believe that that who the three heads are. And a lot of people in the comment section said, no, Tyrion, Tyrion. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you exactly why it's, it can't be Tyrion. Tyrion's not that. Well, I'm going to tell you why people think it. And I'm going to tell you why it can't be. I'll put that out. And I do believe that I have a triple pink letter video coming uh -huh. out this week with three different point of views on it with me, Gray Area, and Bridge Four. Nice. I think that drops Thursday. So we're doing that. And that's that's what's going on Teflon TV. So definitely, you know, subscribe to my channel to get all that good stuff. And Joe, thank you for having me on your channel. I truly appreciate it. It was a great time. Yeah, it was a good time. Um I was enjoying taking random little topics and making two hours out of them and finding a lot more than you ever thought. Like we did a Wyman Wanderly like a month ago. Pretty minor character, but got a good stuff out of it. Barristan here too. Great conversation. Glad to have you on, Tony. Um, for me, what's coming up, of course, you can go to, um, if you're watching this, like and subscribe this video. Um, hit that little bell button so you get the notifications, you know, leave comments or anything. Uh, I, I check the comments pretty regularly if something you want to say. Uh, you can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Magician, um, where you can get access to the patron Slack, where quite a lot of people in the chat hang out all day and talk about nonsense which is, you know, how we do. Uh, you get access to videos early and uh, also uh, patron-only episodes. The next one coming out will be about George's old story, the bad one, Meat House Man, because I'm going to do that to myself. Reading it has Meat been... House? You never heard of Meat... Have you heard of Meat House Man? No, I'm glad I didn't. But I... <laughs> it's a sci-fi... Um, sci-fi it's it's widely regarded as his worst story and the hardest to read so i'm i'm going after it it's 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 so many things just go through my mind when i hear meat house man it's about no. um i'll give you a, a quick breakdown so you guys can know in the chat what it is um it's about these guys called corpse handlers they're essentially like the others they're psychic people that control corpses to do stuff for them and it's that's where it starts. That's the starting point. It's essentially like seeing from the perspective of, of an other. And then everything that goes from that, it is horrific. Um, also uh, coming up, my next video voted on by the patrons will be about the Tattered Prince. What is his true identity of the Tattered Prince of the Windblown? We talked about a little bit during this stream. Um, he's one of those characters that's set up as George clearly wants you to think who, what is the secret identity of this character? I have an idea using kind of the five-year gap with my brand, the beauty thing and Kago Corpse Killer. If you guys have seen those videos, it will be about that. And maybe kind of a small one, just like what even is the five-year gap? Because that's one of those questions that you say it, and then your stream erupts with like, wait, what are you talking about? What the hell is the five-year gap? What is this? What are you talking about? So we'll probably do that. Um, and see here. God, what else? Uh, Tuesday, the gaming streams, we're going to be restarting. Um, the Danes campaign has ended. Um, 
probably be playing maybe as John or Rob or something like that. That'll be fun. And again, another Quarren stream next Saturday or this coming Saturday with Alicia Kingston uh, talking about Ario Hota. So make sure you guys go check out Robert's channel for Tony, more Tony, just all the Tony you can get. And then later tonight, their party stream. So yes, stream. I'm going to set up the stream actually as soon as I get out of here. So if you do subscribe, you'll be able to get see it. But, but uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm see how many people we can get on there and see how long I can control all the people. And it's still super fun. But <laughs> Controlling is going to be hard. I think we're going to have eight people on there at least. So it should be a lot of people. Should, should be, be great. So, yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, got somewhere around 225 people, I think, watching at the same time. Great for a weekend. Uh, I know there's a tropical storm ripping through the U.S. right now, so, you know, stay indoors and stay safe and all that stuff, and I'll see you Tuesday or Saturday. Goodbye.